going to be in Galatians chapter 2 this morning, verses 15 through 21. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our end of war to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Pray with me. Father God, we need you this morning. We need you to give us ears to hear. We need you to engage our affections, and our intellect. Lord, I need you to help me to remember the words that I've written down that you would help me to speak. Not just my words, but your words. That we would all better understand this text. That we would better understand what it means to be justified by faith in Christ. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Rugged individualism. It's an individualism in social and economic affairs. It's a belief in personal liberty and self-reliance. It comes out in some famous quotes. You can, be, you can do anything that you put your mind to. Nikes, just do it. Recently there was a campaign slogan, Yes, we can. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Michael Jordan said, If you're trying to achieve, there will always be roadblocks. I've had them. Everybody has them. But obstacles don't have to stop you. If you run into a wall, don't turn around and give up. Figure out how to climb it, go through it, or work around it. Thomas Edison said, There is no substitution for hard work. Perhaps the best picture of hard work that I know of, though, comes from George Orwell's famous novel, Animal Farm. It features an endearing and enduringly strong horse named Boxer. Orwell describes Boxer as following, an enormous beast, nearly 18 hands high, and as strong as any two ordinary horses put together. He seemed more like three horses than one. There were days when the entire work of the farm seemed to rest upon his mighty shoulders. A number of conflicts arise throughout the novel, if you're familiar with it. And Boxer meets each and every one of them with his famous motto, his famous words, I will work harder. Hard work. It seems to be at the very locus of what it means to be an American. If you want something, you need to work for it. Work defines us. It does, doesn't it? It's typically the first question we get after our name. What do you do for a living? What is your work? 
Our identity, our worth, our value, our personhood seem to be inextricably wrapped up in and united to our work. The desire to achieve seems to be written across our DNA. Consequently, we all have a little bit of boxer the horse in us, don't we? When we're met with failure, we resolve, I will work harder. Sometimes it works. We get whatever it is that we're after. But after a while, that thing that we took hold of, that goal to which we work towards, becomes unsatisfying. That new thing becomes an old thing. And we find ourselves again looking towards something else, saying Boxer's words, I will work harder. I would suggest to you that this desire is ultimately a desire to find meaning, a desire to find purpose. C.S. Lewis says it this way, If we find within ourselves a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Augustine similarly comments in his confessions, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Or perhaps you're familiar with Blaise Pascal's comment, There is within every human being a God-shaped vacuum, and it can never be filled by any created thing. It can only be filled by God, made known through Jesus Christ. These men all capture something. There is a vacuum, a restlessness, an insatiable desire in the human heart to validate itself, to find meaning, to find identity. And men and women have always tried to find this identity, fill this vacuum, find this rest, find this satisfaction by chanting, I will work harder and move in the direction of something to take hold of it. But these identities fall short. They do not satisfy. This brings us to our text today. And the main idea of our text today is that justification is by faith alone. And I only have one application, and I hope to come back to it repeatedly. So hear me, hear, these, hear this now, right? Paul is exhorting us to take off our work clothes and to put on our play clothes. I want to exhort you to be at play this morning. If you haven't been with us in the past few weeks, we're working through the book of Galatians exegetically or expositionally. And so what we're seeking to do is follow the author's train of thought from verse to verse so that we can get at his intent. Because we believe that God has inspired the authors of Scripture to write his words to his people. And that when we get at their intent, when we get at what they're saying, we can bow down and exchange our thoughts for the thoughts of God. So that while we read Galatians, we can hear the very voice of Jesus. So without any further ado, let's get into verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Paul here is um, he's pointing out that he's with Peter. Remember, we cut him off a little bit mid-rebuke last week. Peter has withdrawn from eating with the Gentiles, and he started to align himself with the Judaizers and the party of circumcision. And Paul here is saying, we, you and I, Peter, We're not like the Gentiles. He's not saying they're not sinners. He's pointing out that he and Peter are Jews by birth, meaning they have the law. They have an advantage. They have a way to kind of know God a little bit. And the Gentiles, well, they're just out of luck. And so he's continuing that thought now. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus 
in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. You say, Peter, you and I are Jews. We know the law, yet we still fall short. Our work cannot make right relationship with God. It cannot justify us. How then can you expect the Gentiles to be justified by this law? Think before we go any further, Paul uses this word justified three times. He says, says three times we're justified by faith in Christ. And three times he says we're not justified by works of the law. I think he's trying to get a point across. But we must first ask ourselves, what is justification? What does this word mean? We also must note that if even Peter had a little bit more to learn about justification, then perhaps we do as well. So what is it? Packer defines it as following. Justification, or to justify, is a forensic term meaning to acquit or to declare righteous. It is the opposite of condemn. Justifying is indeed the judge's act. And from the litigant's standpoint, therefore, to be justified means to get or to receive the verdict. You see, the problem with man is that we are sinful. It is that we do try to work towards things to identify ourselves. We try to find our meaning apart from our Savior. We try to self-justify our existence. There's an old movie called Chariots of Fire. One of, one of the runners turns to, to the other and he says, I have ten seconds to justify my existence. The meaning of his life is built upon that ten seconds that he runs. He contrasts him with the other character, uh, Eric Little, who says, when I run, I'm sorry, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. You see the difference? One character has built his life on God, and the other has not. See, our problem is, it's the same as Adam's, is when we leave the commands of God, when we leave finding our satisfaction in God and building our lives on God, and we try to build our lives on self, or on family, or on work, or we try to find meaning in something else, we sin, we fall short, we miss the mark. Sin is building your life on anything or anyone other than God. Sin is building the meaning of your life on anything or anyone other than God. See, we were all created to have intimate fellowship with God. And it's only in His presence, it's only in giving Him glory that we find true Satisfaction, deep satisfaction and meaning. Yet we continue to look for our meaning elsewhere. We continue to say, I will work harder. I will justify my existence. Oftentimes we even put ourselves up on the throne. And we try to make God obedient to us as we justify ourselves. See, we, we come to church and we do religious activities we pray, we have our quiet time, we do these different things, and then God owes us. He owes me something. I went to church, and you know what? When I, when I ask for this thing from the Lord, He owes it to me. We reduce God to a genie or a Coke machine. Y'all have been out and been thirsty before. You scrummage through your pocket for some change, and you finally find it. You sort out the lint and the quarters. And then you, you put it into the machine and you, you look down, there's like Coke and Pepsi and for some reason there's water and lemonade in there. I don't know who gets those. But then you, you select 
Coke, hopefully, because that's what tastes best. We select the Coke, and then what happens is out comes a Coke. Awesome, you know? You're, you're refreshing. I should get an endorsement deal with Coke for this, I think. Um, but th- you get what you want. You put in your time, you put in your money, and then you expect the product. You are kind of lord over that machine. God is not a Coke machine. He's not a genie in a bottle. He's not your waitress. He's not your servant boy. He is the king of the cosmos. He orders everything rightly. And when you attempt to self-justify by works of the law, you, like Peter, stand condemned. When you stand on your works, when you stand on that identity, you stand condemned. Because that relationship with God is broken. And you cannot fix it. (laughs) It's like uh, I had a friend recently. uh, I moved in here recently, in case you didn't know. uh, And I had a friend bring me some furniture. It's pretty empty up in that house. And uh, he's he's coming down. He's bringing furniture from my mom's old house. It's the middle of the night. You've been there. You've driven in the middle of the night. There's kind of the cool air is rolling into your vehicle. You're nice and relaxed. If you're like me, you have a cup of coffee and it smells and tastes good. And he's just kind of relaxing, bringing my furniture down. And out of nowhere, an owl, I said an owl, flies and crashes into his windshield. Now, it didn't, it didn't shatter, but his windshield kind of did this number, where it like dipped in. It, it was like a, a divot or a hole. And it was, you know, fractured everywhere. It was cracked. It was cracked beyond repair. You know, to get it fixed, he had to go and have a completely new windshield put in. Because the old one was beyond repair. That relationship was beyond repair. The nature of the glass was that it was broken. Likewise, our relationship with God is fractured beyond repair. It's broken. We cannot fix it on our own. We have to get a new windshield, if you will. We have to get a new life. Justification means that in Christ, though we are actually sinners... We don't fall under condemnation. We don't fall under the brokenness of our relationship. God accepts us despite our sin. We're not acceptable to God because we've become actually righteous. We become actually righteous because we are acceptable to God. Paul is repeatedly, three times, by faith alone you are justified. Three times, not by works of the law. He's beating the gospel drum. Let Let me ask you, Are you trying to earn the favor of God? Because you will never do it. You will never repair that broken windshield. Are you marching in step with the gospel drum, or have you, like Peter, forgotten it a little bit and begun trying to make yourself acceptable to God? Reverse the order of salvation. I will obey, and therefore I'll be accepted by God. No, the order is crucial. I'm accepted by God, and therefore... I obey affectionately because he's reordered my desires. He's reordered my heart. That which captures our affections orders our heart. It directs our lives. Are you trying to obligate God? Are you treating him like a vending machine? Or are you bowing down to his sovereign will and acknowledging that he knows better than you do? He knows all things. And I would suggest that if he knew what God knew, you would do exactly as he's doing in our world. Paul continues, But if in our end of war to be justified in Christ, we too were found guilty to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? 
Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, that I might live to God. A return to religion is folly. Paul is saying if we return to the law that we couldn't keep in the first place, that's just a return to death. If we do that, then we just rebuild what we tore down, what Jesus tore down. The question that he's asking kind of rhetorically and answering himself is, if justification by faith alone in Christ leads us into sin according to the law, is Christ then responsible for our sin? Does Jesus lead us into sin when we follow him? And the answer is here, as he does in Romans, certainly not. Perhaps you've heard the phrase, should we sin all the more that grace might abound? He says, certainly not. No, Jesus has obeyed on our behalf. This doesn't mean that we throw out the law. You know, he says, I died to the law that I might live to God. He's not saying, I died to the law, I just do whatever I want. Well, he is, but he isn't. Says what he means when he says is he died to the law. He means that the law no longer has the tyranny over him. It no longer has power over him. See, the law was never meant to save. It was meant to reveal our need for a Savior. It was meant to point us, to shepherd us toward the Lord our God. Remember, we've talked about looking at the law romantically as it shows us the ways that we can best love the Lord, that it's kind of training wheels on a bike. Maybe help you think about it. It's like rules to a game. They're there to help us best enjoy the Lord. They they reveal His character. They help us to love Him. They're not there for us to earn our salvation. Return to the law is a return to folly, which we all do. I don't know if you know this or not, but, you know, I I do it all the time. I return to the law on accident. um, For instance, uh, you know, when I was going to job interviews, I was really, really tempted to do some things that I might not normally do. Now, I I love Christian music. Don't don't hear me wrong on here. But I I don't listen to it a whole lot. I'll, I'll turn on the country radio station or, you know, talk radio or whatever. But you know what? Like, when I was on my way up here to, to come and preach the first time, you know what I, I did? I was finding, you know, K-Love or Spirit FM or whatever the Christian radio station was. Get a, little, get a little extra favor in there. I wanted the Lord to smile. He's listening to Christian radio, man. I just I can't wait to bless him. I'm going to give him my spirit. Well, no, that's a return to the law. That's so silly. I can't earn God's favor. He's already given it to me. I'm accepted. I don't have to do these religious activities to earn His favor. I don't have to begrudgingly do things for God to love me. He already loves me. He already loves you. Jesus Christ did not die and rise for you so that you would stress out about if you're being spiritual enough. So take a nap. Go for a walk. Drink a cup of coffee, eat chocolate, watch a movie. For freedom, Christ has set you free. You need not work, friends. You need only take off your work clothes. Jesus worked the other six days of the week so that we might rest the seventh day of the week. He fulfilled the law perfectly on our behalf so that we might rest in His righteousness, that we might be justified by faith, that we might be at play. Take off your work clothes. Put on your play clothes. For through the law I died to the law that I might live to God. 
It's also important to note that even when Paul was living to the, according to the law, it still condemned him. Remember, he was a, a Jew among Jews, a Hebrew among Hebrews. But he was only condemning himself. Because all those actions, even though they outwardly appeared to be for God, they were for Paul. He was obeying to get the reward. He was obeying to get the gift rather than the gift giver. God desires mercy, not sacrifice. He desires your heart, not empty actions. When we obey without acceptance, when we obey out of a desire to earn or to self-justify or to find our meaning in anything apart from Christ, we turn ourselves into mercenaries. We turn God into a genie. We're looking to get payment rather than enjoying Him for who He is, rather than having our hearts reordered to fully enjoy the things that we often replace God with. Your work, your, you know, for me, like football and sports, your family, those are all good things. God created pleasure. He wants you to enjoy those good things. But He doesn't want them to become God things. He doesn't want them to be idols. And I would suggest to you, you can't fully enjoy any good thing until you truly enjoy God. Until you build your meaning on the Lord of the universe, all these other things are ultimately going to disappoint you. Yes, they'll satisfy for a season, but that satisfaction is only temporary. When we're in Christ, we are free to enjoy things the right way, the way they were designed. Because those good things that we made into God things were never meant to be idols. Once we allow Jesus to put our idols in their proper place then they are enjoyed rightly. If steak or wine or coffee or chocolate or anything else other than God is the ultimate joy in our heart, the best part of our day, it will only give temporary joy. And that temporary joy will be hollow. It will be thin. It will be empty. But if I believe in the gospel, I can truly enjoy these things. I can enjoy the coffiness of coffee. I can enjoy the chocolateness of chocolate, the footballness of football, the sexiness of sex. These things are not ultimate things. They're all designed to orient us towards our Lord and our Savior. We can enjoy them unto His glory. Only the gospel frees us to enjoy things the way that they truly are, the way that they're designed. The problem we run into is that Our hearts are deceitful. Our hearts are wrong. Our nature is wrong. The nature of our relationship is broken. It needs to be restored. It needs to be justified. Jeremiah Jeremiah writes and tells us, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately corrupt. Solomon in Proverbs says, He who trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Paul says, I died to the law. In Romans, he tells us, Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only during his life. Thus, a married woman is bound by law to her husband only as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is discharged from the law concerning the husband. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you have died to the law that through the body of Christ, 
so that you may belong to one another, to Him who is raised from the dead, in order that we might bear the fruit of God. Dr. MacArthur puts it this way, if a man is convicted for a capital crime and he's put to death, the law obviously has no more claim on him. He's paid his debt to society. Therefore, even if he were to rise from the dead, he would still be guiltless before the law, which would have no claim on his new life. So it is with the believer who dies in Christ and raises to newness of life. I have been crucified with Christ. This is verse 20. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our nature is wrong. Our nature is broken. The windshield is broken beyond replacement. If, we, if I had a golden retriever, let's say, hypothetically. I do like golden retrievers, but I don't have one. Let's say he acts like a cat all the time. He bathes himself like a cat. He has a, like one of those weird, bumpy tongues. Have you ever been licked by a cat? It's like sandpaper on your skin. It's just really an uncomfortable experience. But his tongue is like that of a cat. He purrs like a cat. He smells like a cat. He even scratches at a post like a cat, curls up on my lap like a cat. Does that make my golden retriever a cat? No. See, his nature is a golden retriever. And his actions can't change that. Likewise, our nature is that of sinners. Our relationship with God is broken. We cannot fix it on our own just by actions, by returning to the law, by what we do. That doesn't change our nature, friends. No, we need an intervention. We need a new nature which is what happens. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I've been crucified with Christ. This union of Christ is not something that you've thought a whole lot on, perhaps. But what it means, it's it's an astounding doctrine. It knocks me off my feet. What it means is that when Jesus died on the cross, there were four things nailed there, all right? You with me? There was Jesus, a sign above him that mocked him as king of the Jews. Your sin, and you haven't maybe thought about this, and you, you are united to Christ. You have died to the law. You have paid the penalty along with Christ. He's paid it for you. I have been crucified with Christ. There's an old story about Uh, St. Augustine, when he had his conversion experience, he was in the market and he came across an old girlfriend, an old lover of his, and she saw him. And upon seeing her, because he sees her too, he turns and he runs. He runs away from this girl, right? And she's following him and she's saying, Augustine, it is I, it is I. He keep running. She's running after him. Augustine, it is I, it is I. Finally, Augustine stops and he turns and he says, but it is not I. It is not I. I, crucified with Christ. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. The newness of life. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We have a new nature in Christ Jesus. Friends, stop working. Quit that job. 
Put on your play clothes. God has called us to enjoy Him, to be at play in His fields of mercy. Martin Luther talks about this verse in a beautiful way. He says, For Christ is joy and sweetness to a broken heart. Christ is a lover of poor sinners, that's you and me, and such a lover that He gave Himself for us. Now if this is true, and it is true, then we are never justified by our own righteousness. You must read the words, Me and for me with great emphasis. Print this me with capital letters on your heart. And do not ever doubt that you belong to the number of those who are meant by this me. Christ did not only love Peter and Paul and the apostles. No, friends, that same love that he felt for them, he feels for us. If we cannot deny that we are sinners, then we cannot deny that Christ has died for our sins. His love arrests us. It captivates us. It changes our hearts. It changes our affections so that we no longer desire to do that which is contrary to the law. We no longer desire to earn the favor of God. We no longer desire to self-justify, to build our life on our own meaning. No, we desire to build our life on God and on that which He's called us to. We desire God. Whatever our affections are set to, that's where our behavior goes. And when our life is built on God, when our affections are built on God, our affections are set to God, that's where our behavior will follow out of the overflow of the love for our Lord. It's okay to get excited now. I'm preaching up here, all right? God is good. He has saved you that you need not work. Paul continues, I do not nullify the grace of God, this is verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if justification were through the law, then Christ died to no purpose. If, if we could be justified by our own works, if we could fix that windshield, if the golden retriever could make himself a cat, then Jesus died for no reason. Paul's saying to Peter here, if you say that, that you have to keep these food laws, then you're denying that the death of Christ meant anything. You're insulting the cross. It's kind of putting in the saying, well, which will it be? The law or Christ? Because if you think you can be justified by the law, you will nullify the grace of God. This same question is before you each and every day. Will you try to be justified and made right with God based on your actions? Are you trying to earn His favor? Or are you just resting in Christ? Are you at work or are you at play? Take off your work clothes. Put on your play clothes. The cross, you will insult it or you will embrace it. It will mean everything to you or it will mean nothing to you. Imagine with me that your house were burning down. But... Your whole family had escaped. And I roll up to you and I say, Hey, let me show you how much I love you, friend. And I run into the house. And I die. You would think, that was dumb. Like, what, what purpose was that? He ran into it. We were all outside. He ran inside. and it was, That was just silly. Ridiculous. What an odd waste of life. But imagine with me now that your house were on fire, but your children were still inside. And I said to you, let me show you how much I love you. And I ran inside, and I saved the child but died myself. You would think, look how much that man loved us. If we could save ourselves, 
then the death of Christ is pointless. And it means nothing. If we realize that we cannot save ourselves, Christ's death will mean everything. Does the cross of Christ, does Jesus mean everything to you? Is that where you find your identity? Is that where you find your worth? Does he mean everything to you? Or does he mean nothing? Are you still trying to justify yourself by the works of the law? Does he mean everything? Or does he mean nothing? The gospel indeed hurts our pride. It's offensive. It turns those phrases at the beginning on their head. It says, you will not succeed, so stop trying. It says, there is a substitution for hard work. His name is Jesus. It says, no, we can't. It doesn't say, I will work harder. It says, Christ has worked, and it is finished. It is done, and salvation has come to the world, to you and to me. He died for me. It gives rest to our restless hearts. Jesus has done your work. So I exhort you once more to be at play in the fields of His excellencies beneath the mountains of His mercy. God mandates a good time for you. Uncross your arms. Unpurse your lips. The Lord has done a good thing. He's given us good things and He expects that we enjoy those good things. And if we have put on Christ and His righteousness... We have changed out of our work clothes and into our play clothes. I want to leave you with this. Uh, Dr. Russell Moore said these words. You've heard the words, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But I say to you, be at play. Eat, drink, and be merry, because yesterday you were dead.